choir. You guys wouldn't know, but I know that song from way back. It's one of my favorite songs, especially this time of year. It kind of just brought tears to me as I thought about it. You know, you go back and you know how sounds or sights or smells bring memories. And I guess that message is so dear to me. It's like, Lord, heal our land. But anyway, uh, you guys see a hand here. I, I broke my hand if you had word hadn't got out yet playing church softball. So I guess my petition is pray for Cindy. <laughs> and uh, also, I am so grateful. Another thing I'm emotional about is to see Megan here today. Isn't that wonderful? Um, I know Daniel gave us a report that uh, before the play for warm-ups, she made a surprise entrance, and the cast, of course, came and hugged her and a lot of tears and just grateful to God that she's uh, recovering. Uh, we don't know what each day holds, so we need to celebrate each day, don't we? Well, I want to share a message this morning uh, called Our Christian Heritage. Um, I'm going to look at some history and uh, two ver- for our verses, though, to stand up and honor God are both in the Psalms. So I encourage you, Psalm 33, verse 12, and then we're going to jump over near the end of the book of Psalms. Yeah, please stand in God's honor. To Psalm 144, verse 15. So I'll give you a moment as we turn to Psalm 33, verse 12. And I'm not going to try. Usually I love to have my Bible, but it's I'd be so frustrated. You'd say, that preacher doesn't look very Christian. So I'd, anyway, I'll stop. <laughs> Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. And then turn with me to Psalm 144. Verse 15. Blessed is the people of whom this is true. Blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. Let's pray. Father, your word is so clear. Blessed is the people. Whose God is the Lord. Father, uh, when our nation first began, we didn't know what was going to happen. And we needed help. And we needed direction. And we needed you. And out of that, Father, was birthed the United States of America. And Father, we don't need to go somewhere new. We need to go somewhere where we've been. It's always good to go back to you. And I pray this morning as we, Father, uh, take time to look at where we have been. And as we look at your word, remind us, Father, that when our eyes are fixed upon you, there is blessing. And when we lose sight, Lord, there's hurt, there's pain. We need to be healed, Lord. Thank you for your word that tells us we pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways, Father, that you will heal our land. And we need that, Lord. So we, we just turn to you, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's imagine you turned on the news one morning and you heard these three announcements. Uh, first coming from uh, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. <laughs> 
who said, God has given to our people the choice of our rulers, and it is our duty to prefer Christians as our leaders. Second announcement is reporters had gathered around and they're uh, speaking about a new law that had just been passed. And in this law were the words, I do profess faith in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and His Son. And I acknowledge the Holy Scriptures, the Old and the New Testaments, as divinely inspired of God. Third announcement, legislation passed in Congress. The Congress of the United States approves and recommends the Holy Bible to use as the divine textbook in our schools. What would be the response today? We can't have that. That's too closed-minded. It's too judgmental. It's too intolerant. We've come a long way, haven't we? It was John Jay, the very first chief justice, who's known as the father of the Supreme Court, who was quoted as saying, it is the duty of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. It was in the state of... Delaware and in other states too that required those who ran for office to affirm their Christian faith because there was a confidence in the character of one who walked with God that that should be the type of ruler in our land. Congress 1782 uh, was approved the use of the Bible in our schools uh, through tax dollars, by the way. <laughs> Matter of fact, there was a challenge to this. And in uh, 1844, here was the Supreme Court's ruling. Why should not the Bible and especially the New Testament not be read and taught as a divine revelation in the school? Where can the purest principles of morality be learned so clearly or so perfectly as from the New Testament? Okay, I just want to look at several truths as we go back in our history of our foundation, of our heritage. Guys, you, you don't hear this in many places. Um, so it's important that we're reminded, not that we need to go somewhere new, but where we need to go where we've been. First truth, America was settled by people who were looking to be able to follow their conscience, to be able to seek God and not have people direct them or, 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 or tell them what to do and the emphasis came from a longing to be able to take the Bible and to be able to search out their convictions through the scriptures of God and to do that freely, to come away from a, a church that was under government and to say, you know, that, that's not where it comes. Government doesn't tell me about God, but I seek God as I study the Bible, as I seek the scriptures. Remind me of Jeremiah 29, 13 and the setting in Jeremiah 29 is God's people have been trapped. They've been in captivity. And then God says to them in that awesome verse, verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so the picture here is there is an honest quest. It's a, a genuine journey for God to find out who is God? Who, who, who is God to me? And in that quest... Uh, no one can push you away, but there's a freedom. That's what they were looking for, that freedom. And, of course, the Mayflower Compact in 1620, when they fled away and came to this land and in order to 
to be able to serve their conscience. And in the early colonies, the first public building that was built was a church. And it was a place when people died, they came and they mourned and they grieved and they cried out to God. In a place when there were victories, they came and they celebrated. And they had those church food, you know. Plenty of that. We still do that today, right? When we meet, we eat. Well, they did that in in, in those days as a a place to celebrate. It it was a place where they gathered, a place where they worshipped, a place where they were united. Um, In 1643, this is from the New England Confederation. Um, In their constitution, they wrote these words. Whereas we all came into these parts with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and peace. So what held together our land in the beginning was people wanted the opportunity to worship God and not be controlled. And many of those early leaders, their belief was was from the book, the scriptures, and, and seeking that through Christ. And secondly, our founders had a strong desire to be pleasing to God and to do His will. A couple of verses, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. You know, we speak of that as the Protestant work ethic. And the basic idea was simply this. God watches everything I do, so when I work, knowing He's watching, I'm going to do the best I can. And I'm going to do it to bring Him honor. I'm going to do it to bring Him glory. Not just for me. Another verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. But you know how we all are. Back then, people were people just like we're people today. And Although there was this quest in the beginning, as other people came over here, there were those, they didn't come here just to seek God. Matter of fact, there was a time in England where they emptied their prisons and sent them over here to the new world. And there was a time where people moved away from God. As a matter of fact, um, years later, it was said that only 10% of the people in America came to church. Only 10% were seeking God. And it looked like the country was in real trouble. There was a great sense of immorality. People didn't care about God. Nobody seemed to want to go to church. Nobody wanted to hear God or, or what the Bible had to say. And then God got a hold of hearts. We called it the first great awakening. And it was, a, it was just a work of God as he began to move in people's lives in a powerful way. Um, so... 1734, God began working through his his men. and uh, Some of these, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, Gilbert Tennant, John Wesley. Maybe you've heard some of those names. And as they spoke, there became a hunger because there was an emptiness in people's lives because God had been left out and people were broken and people were hurting. And as he spoke through his servants, as he spoke through his mouthpieces, Hearts were stirred. And revival broke out in America. And thus, the first great awakening. And it was said it came to a point where it went from 10% of the people in America, this is through the 13 colonies, were coming to um, church to 50%. Wow. Half of the people, man, they were coming because there was a hunger and there was a a change of hearts. There there was this sense of, of revival that was moving. 
Benjamin Franklin said this during those times. He said, it was wonderful to see the change made in inhabitants from being thoughtless or indifferent about religion. It seemed as if all the world were growing religious so that one could not walk through the town in an evening without hearing psalms sung in different families of every street. Can you imagine? Walking down the street and, and the neighbors are gathered and they're singing out to God? Man, how cool is that? I think I told you guys, well, I know I have several times, but uh, years ago when they had that big movement um, of Christian men, uh, promise seekers, and I was in Atlanta and they had like 50,000 plus preachers there. I went and to hear those many men sing. And I remember that night I, I jumped on MARTA, you know, the Atlanta train. And I don't know, there was probably, a, I, I don't even know how many people, several thousand of us. I almost felt sorry for those poor people. Because we preachers were all fired up singing hymns, walking on to Marta. I thought, they don't have a chance, man. And all these people. But can you imagine what, you know, I thought maybe that was just a little taste of, of what that must have been like. But, but in, in fact, Franklin went on. He, he was so impressed with hearing Jonathan Edwards preach that he paid for an auditorium to be built to accommodate 30,000 people for, you know, early Colosseum <laughs> to hear the gospel. Um and the funny thing about it was, it was said that in Philadelphia in that time where Franklin was, only 20, 25,000 people lived. <laughs> so there were more people showing up to hear at these crusades than were actually there at the time. So God did a mighty move. And what was so critical about all that? Because you see, from 1734 on, it was laying the groundwork because the people that came from 1734 on to 1776... They were being raised in a place where God was alive. Where the Spirit of God was working. And people's hearts were tender to God. And that had a great impact upon the framework of a new nation about to be born. As, as, as these people, as these thinkers of, of the early place that would become the United States of America. As, it, it came from a heart for God among so many people. And there was the idea of freedom. Matter of fact, here's part of a, a prayer from George Washington, our first president. Let my heart, gracious God, be so affected with your glory and majesty that I may discharge those weighty duties which requires of me, thou requires of me. Again, I've called on thee for pardon and forgiveness of sins for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ offered on the cross for me. Thou gavest thy son to die for me and thou hast given me assurance of my salvation. Coming from our president. There was a study done over a 10 year period. By the University of Houston. Where they collected and cataloged. 15,000 quotes. Of our founding fathers. United States of America. And they determined. 94% of those quotes. Were based upon the Bible. 94%. Uh, there was a real sense of. Man answers. And, and a foundation. That a country that's going to be strong and that's going to last must be built upon the Bible and God must not be left out. He must not be left out. Uh, next, America founded by men and women who acknowledge God's supreme rule. Uh, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I've always said all is a big word. It might be small, but it's big. The earth is the Lord's. Man, everything in it. The world, all who live in it. That includes me and you. 
That's the Lord's rule. What was acknowledged, these people weren't perfect. These people weren't all believers. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is there was a consensus that God needed to be sought. There was a consensus that we don't know what we're doing. We need God. We need God to to work in this nation. We need God to work in our lives and give us direction. Uh, it, it's so critical. Um, from the Declaration of Independence, uh, we've heard these words, but worth reading again. And think about the impact of the scriptures and a heart seeking God as these words were written. We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, in the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. What are they saying? They're saying, we want a government whose job is to protect what the Creator has given to each of us. Um, And after a series of charges of breaking away from what they felt was oppression to keeping them from following their consciences and and, and seeking God and and, and breaking away from Britain. He's saying, you know, we want God. We want to pledge God to be a part of of the place where we live. We want to be free. We want the freedom that God gives and that opportunity. And there's that great painting of the Continental Congress as they're seeking direction. And finally, somebody suggested that what we need to do is get on our knees and we need to cry out to God. So that great picture is they're on their knees and they're praying and they're seeking guidance. John Adams, in a letter to his wife, Abigail, about that meeting, said, The most amazing thing occurred. Even those stern old Quakers had tears gushing down their cheeks as we prayed on our knees that day. Wouldn't that be awesome? If we had a nation, can you imagine then cutting on one of these news channels Seeing every branch of the government, I just seeing them all together: Supreme Court, Congress, President, Executive Branch, every branch. Seeing them on their knees and saying, "I'm not wise enough, big enough, smart enough to guide this land. I need God." That gives me holy goosebumps. Even considering that, and guys, how we desperately need that. Matter of fact, as you, as you go through history and you. You see, there were times, how in the world did this country survive? We had untrained minute men and marksmen compared to the British soldiers, so well trained. God was obviously in it. It was God's heart, God's will, as people were tender to God and seeking Him. Matter of fact, our three branches of government, where did that come from? Listen to Isaiah 33, verse 22. For the Lord... Is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. Now think about that, guys. For the Lord is our judge. Supreme Court, right? For the Lord is our lawgiver. Congress. For the Lord is our king. The idea of a president. It is he who will save us. But the intent is that through all those checks and balances, through the three parts of government, it would all be under God. That he would be the one 
who would save us. He would be the one who would offer direction. Uh, as I close, just a thought. Um, the tallest structure in Washington, D.C. is the Washington Monument. Matter of fact, there's a law you can't build anything taller than the Washington Monument out of respect. You know what's written at the very top where we can't see? I guess you about need a helicopter to look down and see the words written up there. Uh, they're written in Latin. But if you translate to English, the words are, let God be praised. So in our national capital, the highest point of the national capital, geared toward the heavens, what is said is, let God be praised. And what is desperately needed is that filter down from the highest point to the point of our hearts, to the point of this land, that he might move among us. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for our land. Thank you for a trip back. That we may see where we've been and where we long to go again, Lord. Which is to you. For God, without you, we're destined to crumble. But with you, we're destined to prosper. Uh, Father, I love uh, Proverbs 29, verse 2. It says um, that the people thrive when you are worshipped. That the people groan with wicked rulers. And so, Father, I just pray, Father, that you would turn our hearts toward you, Lord. Rulers and people alike. The idea is not to point fingers anywhere. The idea is, enter my heart, Lord. Work in me that I may turn to you. And, Father, with that idea and with that focus, Father, you reach us one at a time and turn us toward hope. Father, I pray this morning. I don't know where the hearts are, but you do. There's an altar here for those that need to come to pray. Father, um, I'll be at the front if someone just wants to pray with someone with skin on, as they say. And Father, to share, opportunity to share with your people. Father, maybe a commitment that you want to do in one of our lives. Lord, we just want to be open to you. Father, for the nation to turn around, I need to turn around. And I pray that be the heart here today and that you might move among us for the, your glory. Christ's name we pray. Amen.